Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. I just wanted you to feel awkward for a minute. Good morning. I'm so glad you've come to be with us today. And for those of you that don't know me, my name is Daryl. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here. It's my privilege to serve here as one of the pastors. And also it's my privilege today to open God's word to us. And if you have your Bibles, if you could go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I always feel it's helpful that we have a little review of last week. Pastor Dave Segrist, and by the way, he did an amazing job, didn't he, last week? And he taught us from the first 20 verses. And he, he was telling us about John the Baptist. He's as the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he was making three different cries that Pastor Dave brought up. The first one was the the cry of true repentance. That not just an external performance, but that there was a true heart change in somebody. Because he brought up that right living always originates from a repentant heart. And John the Baptist was sharing with the, 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 the community at that time, you guys keep saying Abraham is our father. But that is of little value if you don't have a truly a repentant heart. Because... That community, the Jewish community, highly upheld their heritage and their lineage. They really did. The second cry was a cry for repentant living. That a truly repentant person will find themselves less focused on themselves and more on serving others. Several examples were brought up, like, like a tax collector. The tax collector, you can tell he's repentant because... It's more about his honesty, he's known for that, than his dishonesty. And a soldier said, well, what about me? Well, a truly repentant soldier is more concerned, isn't as concerned with, like others are, about using his authority and his position to gain more wealth for themselves. That's not what he's concerned with. And then the cry for humility. And if anyone could truly say this from the heart, it would have been John. John says, because when Jesus comes, I'm not even worthy enough to reach down and untie his dirty sandals, the part reserved for the lowest of the lowest servant. I don't even feel worthy to do that. And then John had also finished talking about the winnowing fork. Remember the pictures? The separating of the, the wheat from the chaff. Separating the unsaved, unrepentant heart from those that are saved, which we refer to the wheat. 
So over the coming weeks, you're going to hear some various messages on some of Jesus' identifying names. Today's is Jesus, the Son of God. That's what today's is. Here's something for you to think about. Chances are everyone in this room at some point has volunteered for something. Would you agree? If, you, if you're like me, when somebody asks you to volunteer, you start asking questions, right? And then because you want to see the big picture that's involved. Like, uh, what's going to be my responsibilities? How much time is it going to be? And then you kind of weigh it in your mind on whether it's going to be worth volunteering or not. But what if you and your father agreed ahead of time that the thing that you were about to volunteer for was so big and so important it would impact every single person on the planet. It would involve some of the most amazing days you would ever have along with some of the lowest, darkest, hardest days you would ever experience. Part of your responsibility would be to continually reach out to those that you love, only to find out that just a handful of them would actually love you and accept you in return. But many others, they would actually hate you. They would hate your message, and they would seek to kill you. And one day, they would eventually succeed. Would you volunteer? Jesus did. Jesus did. Our passage today, it continues around the Jordan River. This is a very important landmark in the history of the Jews. The scriptures are clear. There was a large crowd that had gathered. I'm sure there were many people were just curious. What's this guy doing eating locusts and wild honey? And what's he saying out there? And who is he? But Matthew chapter 3 talks about there were also some Pharisees and Sadducees that had come. So there were religious people there too just to see what was going on. And along with them was Jesus. Typically, John would preach his message and at the end he would invite people to be baptized. The scripture says it was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We'll talk more about that later. But Jesus just listened and he waited. Others were baptized, and then it became his turn. But as you will see, there, this moment would be so different for Jesus. For the reading of God's word, would you be so kind as to stand with me? And we're in Luke chapter 3. We're going to read 21 through the first part of 23. So 23a, basically. And then I would like to say a, a quick prayer, and then I'll ask you to be seated. Please read with me. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us what you want us to learn. May we each live, leave here a little closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. 
When John the Baptist was preaching, he could tell the world was in spiritual brokenness, his area. Unbelief was everywhere. As a matter of fact, they actually had two high priests, and you're really only supposed to have one. So they were in need. John was proclaiming that, you guys, prepare your hearts because the Messiah, the Lord, is coming. He's coming. So make sure your hearts are ready. But as you just read, when you, if you were to read the Gospels about Jesus' baptism, one thing that Luke brings up that the others don't is it mentions that Jesus was praying. It says as Jesus was praying. Something about praying captures Luke's attention. And Luke writes about it because God used Luke to write Luke and Acts. And if you were to look at those two books, you would find out pray, prayer, praying, different forms of pray is used 46 different times by Luke. Prayer. So you have to ask yourself at this baptism, why were the people coming to be baptized? Why were they coming? Because the the baptism that John was doing is called the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This would have been a visible sign to everyone that was watching that that person, before they got baptized, had from their heart confessed their sins and were repenting. They were, they were preparing their heart for the Messiah to come because when he came, he would completely forgive them of all their sins. That's what this was about. Yes, on that day there were many baptized, many, many, but we're only going to look at one. And that would be Jesus today. So before I share with you why Jesus was baptized, maybe it would be helpful to share a couple of reasons why he wasn't baptized like everyone else. The first one is this. Jesus was sinless. And therefore he had no sins to confess or repent of. Another reason that Jesus wasn't baptized like the rest is because He wasn't looking forward to the Messiah coming to completely forgive him because he was the Messiah that was coming. So why did Jesus get baptized? I'm going to share with you several of them, and this list isn't exhaustive, but as one commentator puts it, Mr. Pentecost says this, the one baptizing was the same, but the baptism was not the same. The use of water was the same, but the significance was not identical. The baptism of Jesus by John was a special, unique kind of baptism. It was distinct from John's baptism and from Christian baptism, as John's baptism was distinct from a believer's baptism today. There's a lot in that. But let me share with you several reasons. One is to fulfill all righteousness. We see this in Matthew chapter 3. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. When John was there, John was being controlled by the Holy Spirit. When he saw Jesus, he knew he was the Messiah. But it wasn't quite yet time to reveal him yet. And so when Jesus asked John to baptize him, this request 
It forced John to have to make a decision. I feel so unworthy to even baptize him. He should be the one baptizing me. But maybe I should just submit to his authority as my Lord and baptize him. And this is what John decided. I think the example that John gave us and set forth here is good for all of us. Has there ever been a time in your life God has seemed to be asking you to do something and yet you felt so unworthy? John says, go ahead and do it because the Lord asked you to. Wow. Okay. Another reason. Jesus' baptism, it also endorsed John's ministry and the message that he was preaching. Jesus didn't stand on the sideline. We don't see him heckling him or giving him a hard time. It endorsed what John was doing. Another reason, Jesus was sinless. But don't skip over this. But he chose to be identified with the sinful and Israel. Perfection chose to be identified with us. Little did those know that, that those that were standing around, that they didn't even know that the one that created them and loved them before the foundation of the world was standing right there. Jesus loves sinners. That's why he came, to redeem us. Another reason Jesus was baptized, it was to fulfill God's promise to John. In John chapter 1, it says in verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remained, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Before this baptism, God had revealed a little bit earlier to John, John, while you're out there baptizing, one day you're going to see the Holy Spirit come down. It's going to descend on one of those you're baptizing. And when, he, when the Spirit remains, you're going to know beyond a doubt that is the Messiah. But there are some that have mistakenly thought this. This, is, this would be a, a, a wrong idea, I think. That Jesus at this time was being ceremonial baptized like a priest was. Because the priest would many times get, there was a ceremonial baptism that would take place around the age of 30. As they were getting placed into their position. But the law is clear. It stated that only someone from the tribe of Levi could become a temple priest. And Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So that made him ineligible. But Jesus didn't come to be a temple priest. He came to be the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that didn't fully happen until after his death, burial, and his resurrection, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So you say, why did Jesus come? Here you go. Drum roll, please. Oh, this is the main reason 
This was an opportunity for the entire triune, the Trinity, to confirm to the world that Jesus is the Son of God. This is it. Let's go back to verse 22 in our text. It says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Those that were standing around the water that day, I bet their mouths dropped. We've read this. We've heard this. Did did we just see what we think happened? Many of them just didn't say nothing. What just happened? But that very act would have prompted very much strong opinions. God, the Holy Spirit, descended in bodily form. It says, in other words, we could see him coming down. And it remained on Jesus. It was anointing Jesus for the work and the responsibilities of the Messiah. In Isaiah 11, it says this, verse 1. There came forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit came down in bodily form so you could see him, but it was like a dove. Why use the word dove? Perhaps because a dove represents peace. And Jesus was also known as the Prince of Peace. The last time I checked, a person with a troubled heart would only obtain peace through Jesus. Another reason we see, is that God the Father of this day, he confirmed to the world that this was his son and he was well pleased with him. If you were standing there watching people get baptized, get baptized, and get baptized, all of a sudden it's Jesus' turn. You're just watching, thinking it's just another person. The heavens open. To remove every distraction that you have in your mind right now. The Holy Spirit is coming down like a dove. And then from heaven, God the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, the Jewish historian says it this way. Here at those waters was the kingdom into which Jesus had entered in fulfillment of all righteousness. And from them he emerged as his heaven-designated, heaven-qualified, and heaven-proclaimed king. Wow. Wow. But in our society and... In our, many in our culture today, they do have a high respect for Jesus. Some even say that Jesus is a great teacher or he's a prophet. Oh, maybe he's the best teacher or oh, he could be the best prophet. But according to God the Father, it's crystal clear. Jesus is God's son. Divinity. This reveals his connection with Almighty God the Father. And the Holy Spirit 
He's Trinity. Jesus is the Son of God. Later on in Jesus' life, he would say it this way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through As I think about this story that was just explained, I'm, I might take a sidebar if I could, just a, on a side note. Can I do that? We all know that Jesus came to be our Savior, but he also came to be our example, and we're to walk in his way, correct? What about God the Father? He's referred to as holy. Did he make mistakes? Or was there something that happened at baptism that, Inadvertently, he is also trying to teach fathers how to be a good father. And on that day, he considered it so important that the world knows that he loves his son and he's proud of him. Christian fathers, I'm going to smile at you, say it from the heart. The first time I had heard this, it made so much sense to me. Wow. Dads. Your children need to hear that you love them often. They need to know that you're proud of them, especially your sons too. Let's go back. As we continue on in the message here, we see here that Jesus' baptism, it was a big deal. No, it was a really big deal. This was a drop-the-mic moment from the Father. Because it revealed his lineage. And to the Israelite, who was your father was so important to them. That's why this, was, this happened. But I wonder that day if some of the religious leaders actually believed in Jesus or not. Or if they just stood there and said, hmm, oh, so what? We don't know. But three years later, in Luke chapter 22, as Jesus is now on trial, and they begin to ask him some questions. I'll read a few of the verses to him. It makes me wonder if those asking the questions were actually at the baptism. But it goes like this in verse 63 to 71. I'm just going to read a few of them. After they were holding Jesus in custody, the assembly of elders gathered the chief priests and scribes they asked this, if you are the Christ, tell us. But Jesus said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And then later on in this passage, they say this, are you the son of God? Wasn't that just revealed three years ago emphatically, without a doubt, crystal clear, break the heavens open, God the Father speaking? Wasn't that already resolved? Hmm. I wonder why is it that some, even though they saw and heard firsthand, they still chose not to believe. But before we get all hard on them, maybe we should ask ourselves, maybe there's somebody sitting in this room, how long has it been since you heard the gospel yourself? And have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? What are you waiting for? Today could be your day. Could be the day. Well, we've said a lot about baptism. Maybe this would be a good time for me to take another little sidebar, if that's okay. Because I have to ask you, have you been baptized? 
Have you been baptized? Our next baptism is April 30th. And typically, a couple weeks before that, they'll have a class that you can take and ask a lot of questions if you need to. But I would encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, to get baptized. Well, maybe you're here and you say, well, why does liberty baptize? Well, we believe God commands it. The two ordinances that we believe God commands, one is baptism and the other one will be the Lord's Supper. So you say, why should a Christian be baptized? Well, Matthew 28, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives a commissioning to his disciples, and he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that text looks pretty clear. God God desires all of his disciples to be baptized. Another reason why is because baptism visibly expresses the gospel. Because when, you know, I'm pointing over here, if you don't know that, that's where a baptistry tank is underneath that carpet right there. If you've never been here for one of the services, to me, it's probably one of my favorite services whenever we have a baptism. Because when I hear that God still moves in the lives of people, drawing them to himself, I'm just like, wow, this is so cool. Because you get to hear someone share their faith in Christ. Then you get to see visibly in the water our union with Christ and his, his death, his burial under the water, and then our resurrection unto new life in him, all portrayed at baptism. But I will say this, baptism is not a means of salvation. You can get baptized in every pond and creek in Indiana and still not be a Christian. You'll be clean, but you won't be a Christian. Well, it could maybe. But you won't be a Christian. Because a Christian is someone who places their faith in Christ after they understand who he is and what he's come, for, what he's come to do for them and how he died on the cross for their sins and they, they call out to him to be their personal savior. That's a Christian. Baptism is for believers because it identifies us with Jesus. Just not about getting wet. It identifies us. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I want the world to know. And baptism also believe, uh, reveals that you are a part of the, the larger body of Christ. So even though becoming a Christian is personal, it's never private. Because you have now become a part of the member of the family of God. You've been adopted into God's family. But it's also necessary, I would just say this, for the church to be involved in your baptism. You say, why is that? Because we need to hear your story. We need to confirm it, yes. And then we help you get baptized. Just like that. Let's go back to the text now. Oh, I guess I need to open the bag. I thought about just bringing up an empty bag because all of you are wondering what I was going to bring. You can wear your, bring your own clothes, or if you'd prefer, we have robes that you could wear to be baptized in. That's all that this was about. There's no pressure. It's just maybe the Lord's leading you to do it, and now would be a great time. Let's continue now back in Luke's genealogy. We see here in verse 21 and 22 that Jesus' divine lineage re- was revealed at his baptism, 
Now we're going to see that Luke, in his genealogy here, is going to reveal Jesus' human lineage or connection to all mankind. In verse 23, it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, you know, that brings up Jesus' virgin birth, of Joseph, the son of Halle, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, and all the way down to verse 38. You do that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Verse 38 says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, and the son of Adam, the son of God. As I stated earlier, this lineage was very important to the Jew and the Israelites, more so than any other nation. How many times have you opened your Bible and began to read somewhere, then there's a long list, so-and-so begat so-and-so, who was the son of, who begat the father of? And many times we just skip over those. But the Israelites would have said, I want to read this list because I want to know who their fa- his father was and who that guy really was. It's very important for them. Let's continue. For example, when the Israelites, they, they were probably one nation that this was the most important to in the world, on the planet, probably. Because when they were divided, they were divided into 12 tribes. Then they were subdivided and given tasks around the temple. And when they finally entered the promised land, their land was divided by their tribes. And then here in Luke, we see a long list of 78 names. It takes us all the way back to the beginning of time to show that Jesus was connected, his humanity, to all mankind. Matthew's and Luke's, their genealogies are just a little different. Um, but God wanted to preserve for all time these two in their various forms for various purposes. I'm just going to mention a couple of them. Matthew begins the genealogy in chapter 1. Luke waits until now, the end of chapter 3, perhaps because this is when Jesus' ministry starts, and so that's when he does it. Matthew starts with Abraham, and he ends with Jesus to show that Jesus was in the lineage to rule on the throne of King David. Luke starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam, then to God. Matthew reveals Jesus was part of the human race. He he starts with Abraham, who was the father of the the Jews. Luke reveals that Jesus was part of the human race. Christ's genealogy, if you were to, when you, this afternoon, you can read through the whole, you'll find out there are some pretty well-known people in there. David, probably the greatest king. Judah, Jacob, Isaac, I'm just naming a few. Abraham, Noah. I heard he built a pretty big boat. Enoch, Adam, who was the first man, and then also referred to as Adam, the son of God. That's what the text says. We see here that both Jesus' baptism and Luke's genealogy, they both agree. Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of God. So as we close the service today, I find it interesting, the location of this text that we're looking at. It was around the Jordan River. The Jordan River. The Jordan River is a very historical place and a marker in the, in the history of the Jews. The Jews were held captive, and God miraculously freed them from Egyptian bondage. And he led them all the way to the Jordan River. 
And he says, I want you to cross over there into the land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that I promised you. I'll go with you. Just go. But out of fear and disbelief, they chose not to. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. And many people died in that wilderness of disbelief. They heard God speak, but they chose not to obey. Guess where we're at in this text? We're back at the Jordan River. And once again, God is speaking. This time, he is identifying his son. And he's pointing everybody to Jesus, the Savior of the world. Would they listen and obey God's voice? What about you? If God's Spirit has been speaking to you and he's drawing you to his son, Jesus, will you listen and obey? Will you turn by faith to Jesus Christ as your Savior today? And then if you already have, have you followed and obeyed the Lord in baptism? Maybe that's your next step. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. But I thank you even more for your son, how that he was willing to come to this earth to be identified with us so that he could redeem us and save us from our sins. And we say thank you. And Lord, I pray there's someone here that doesn't know you, that even right now under the sound of my voice, they would open up their heart and invite Jesus to be their Savior, that they would recognize him as the Son of God, the only one that could save them. We pray all this in the precious name of our Lord. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.